Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. We are following up last week's conversation with another topic I could talk for hours about, and a very timely conversation about infertility. Yes. And what started this was we actually, so from when we're recording this, not from when you guys are hearing it, but from when we're recording it, uh, last week was National Infertility Awareness Week. And I had completely forgotten when it even was until I saw people I follow posting about it on Instagram. And I was like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, I completely forgot. And then the timing of this year's is very interesting because this Sunday is Mother's Day. So the week before Mother's Day was National Infertility Awareness Week, which I I honestly think is very fitting. Yes, yes, So it, it was. The timing's very interesting. And uh, we were talking a little bit about it last week and that's when we were thinking, oh yeah, it's National Infertility Week or it was and missed that <laughs> little bit of knowledge. So yes, but it's a very important topic. So yeah. the timing's great to get into it. Yeah, I know. This is one that I get so passionate about and like, I tend to rant about this topic. So forewarning, but I did find a couple statistics that were interesting in researching a little bit. So I don't know if you've heard this one, but um, just in general about infertility, one in eight couples have trouble either getting pregnant or sustaining a pregnancy. So one in wow. eight. That's, that's quite a, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a bigger number than I think people realize because especially, you know, everybody, there's always the joke of, oh, it goes in waves. Everybody's getting married and then everybody's having babies. And so you don't think that it's that common to have that difficult of issues, but it really is. That's surprising. I didn't know that it was that, like that common. Yeah. And of course, that's me. Just like a lot of things with Turner's, I count the infertility experience with Turner's to be a very unique one than most other circumstances of infertility, not to say any better or worse, just very unique because right. a lot a lot of the typical treatments don't necessarily work or apply for the infertility with Turner's. Right. So mm -hmm. That gets really interesting. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Should we start with talking a little bit about what causes the infertility with uh, females with Turner syndrome? Yeah, that would be good. That's a good place to start. Okay. So from what I understand, uh, what happens with Turner syndrome, which isn't necessarily always the case with 
um, other couples that might be struggling with infertility, but specifically with Turner syndrome, one of the main causes is ovarian failure. And so what is, is it's the production of eggs that becomes good viable eggs that becomes the difficult uh, issue in conceiving when you have Turner's. Yes. So and most females have, have uterus, but it's our ov ovaries that don't function correctly. Yes. And some of, some of Turner syndrome women experience also what's called streak ovaries where their ovaries didn't even fully develop. And so either one or both of them could be just a streak of tissue. Right. Um, which is really an interesting thing. I was really like, it kind of, I had to wrap my mind around it when I first heard that. I found out when I was a kid and I didn't fully understand, but when I was young um, and going through or talking with my endocrinologist, um, he would check and I think I was probably between 10 and 12 when they checked my ovaries and they actually told me that I had scar ovaries, which is basically the streak ovaries. Okay. And so uh, I never though followed up to see how like personally well my ovaries functioned. Um, but I was never in a serious enough relationship where I felt like that was warranted. I wish I had when I was earlier, um, just for my own like health and knowledge. Um, but I didn't think about it, but that's something that was told to me when I was younger. Yeah. It's so much of it is timing with anything that would be possible and Everything I've seen has kind of suggested by the time you would see symptoms, right? So depending on when you're diagnosed, by the time you would see symptoms to red flag for a certain number of cases of Turner's, that window may have already come and gone because the whole basis of the ovarian failure and it's it's a really interesting term to hear a doctor say when they say premature ovarian failure and you're like, mm. I, what does that mean? Does that mean nothing's happening? Like lights are off, no one's home kind of thing. Right. And basically it's early menopause, but early menopause that is in a by the time you realize it happened, it's too late. The hormone therapy doesn't reverse any of it. And the treatments, the one they jump to is IVF with egg donation. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at the basis of it, premature ovarian failure is one aspect of it, but then you look at how that happened and it goes back to the hormone deficiency mm -hmm. when you don't have the hormone levels that you need to keep that ovarian function and to keep that egg reserve healthy and all of those things. And then by the time you're, I started HRT for me when I was like 13, 12 and a half or 13, it, you've already lost so much by that point. Yeah. 
I started um, when I was eight. Okay. And I was about 10, 12 when they actually looked and did um, like a sonogram and evaluated. And that's when they mentioned these uh, streak ovaries, um, but never really fully got a picture or any like true baseline of how well they were functioning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty sure probably by the time I was in my twenties, I was experiencing symptoms um, of premature ovarian failure. Um, it's always been a, a struggle to keep my hormone levels up. And so I feel, I feel like it probably started in my, in my twenties, but I just, I was like, do I, how do I, how far do I really look into this? Because yeah. like, I don't have a relationship that's, I think going to be serious enough for me to actually like try and conceive. And I always had in my mind, well, I'm probably going to go the adoption route. And so I'm not going to worry about that as much, but I wish I actually knew a little bit more, but my window, I, yeah. Yeah. It, it comes and goes fast. It's hard mm -hmm. because I know I, so I found out, well, actually I found out about the infertility part of things when I was like, nine and a half, nine and a half, close to 10 was when my mom kind of explained that it, at that age, the age appropriate way is just, you may need some help having kids. Well, at that age, I was thinking, oh, so IVF or something like I, I didn't know how to fully comprehend what it was. Some version of the doctor doing something came to my mind, but I didn't necessarily know what to think of it. And in everything you learn in health class, you know the cycle is a very important part of that and understanding that is a very important part of that. And I mean, I knew I wanted to have a kids and be a mom since I even have memories. So I was always thinking about it, especially after that, it was like this big question mark in my head. And then when I got married, it was about a year into it that I kind of started feeling like, well, no matter when we were ready to do anything with it, starting the process of finding things out, like, getting my levels, finding out what was going on with me, since we knew already that that was most likely going to be an issue. Even if we don't use it for another year or two, why not at least get the information? So we know what we're up against. And so that was when I was diagnosed. They took, oh gosh, like 10 vials of blood or something. And ran all of these tests. I went to the doctor to go over them and he gave me the official diagnosis of premature ovarian failure and explained a little bit, basically just said, I, 
I wouldn't spend time or money trying to get eggs out of your ovaries. It's just not worth it. Well, wow. that's really discouraging, <laughs> especially when the alternatives are so incredibly expensive. He was saying his biggest suggestion was IVF with egg donation. And that came at a tune of, he guessed between 30 and $40,000 just for one round. Yeah. So you do that one round. If later down the road, you want to use some of the other embryos that came out of that, it's another however many thousand to transfer. And that's a lot of money. That and a lot of money. We've kind of already been, Andrew has always been amazing about this because God just knew he was the one I was supposed to go through all of this with. been incredible. And he's been so like, adoption's amazing. We can always adopt. And I'm like, yeah, but there's always that little piece of you that's like, but I know you would be so excited and I want to be able to do that. And like we talked about last week, it's that little pinprick of, I should be able to do this though, and I can't control what my body's doing. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a journey figuring options out. Thankfully, there are options, but it's complicated. Yeah, uh, you have, um, well, we both can bring like a different perspective because you being married, it's a different journey and, you know, being single is a different journey with different decisions and, um, you know, that been, you know, my experience and it's, it's very difficult. Um, I know with, um, you know, another, one of my friends who has TS and she's married, it really, her husband is very supportive and, um, very understanding and whenever want her to feel less than, but she struggles with just that part of something that she wants to be able to, to do and to, uh, you know, to bring a, a child into um, their family, her because they've wanted a child, her husband's wanted a child, and she feels like it's a disappointment that she can't quite provide that. And it's been really, and and I don't, you know, know about you, but she's talked about how hard it's been for her as a wife to deal with that aspect. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. And not because, I mean, it has nothing to do with Andrew's feelings on it because he's been always only ever incredibly supportive and compassionate and understanding. And he knows it's a really hard thing emotionally for me. And he's so, <laughs> he knows how to help me with it so much. But even, even with knowing like he's okay. He's, he's fine. He's excited for the option we did choose that doesn't look like that. You know, he's mm -hmm. good with the options we do have. He's excited about those options. He's in no way acting like or feeling any kind of missing it. But for it being so out of your control and something that as a couple, you're watching other couples around you not even have to think about it. It does get hard because you still feel like even though they're fine, you know, there's no way of avoiding it impacting them. Like it's, it's controlling their options too. It's in fact impacting what they're able to do also. It's, you know, it's 
changing what they had expected. And yeah, that's hard. Um, especially because, yeah, when you're in a relationship, when you're married, when you want to give that person that and you can't and you love them so much. And I mean, you would want to see little thems running around. You would love that more than anything. It's hard. It's really hard to just have to kind of cope and get through not really any version of that being super accessible or possible. Yeah. And okay. So I don't know if I went into detail as to how I found out. It's kind of a funny story, kind of. And I, I share a little bit about it in my book. And it's usually one of the things that when I hear something about it, this is one of those areas. Cause I, I will hear from um, the moms who uh, have, you know, a daughter with TS and um, there's one in particular that when she reached out to me, she, she, um, she appreciated, I guess, my, my story, but she was like, I was not, I was not thinking you're about to go into that topic. And, and, and she was like, I don't know if I want to talk about this because it's, it's such a difficult situation and it's like you want to be kind of prepared to bring that on and when you're when you're reading she was like reading her like some of my book and she like and I start talking about the infertility thing and she's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's like I don't know if I want to go into this right now but I found out when I was five like five and a half that I wasn't going to be able to have kids and so at first, as, as a five-year-old and a kid, I was not really upset about that for a couple of reasons. So when my mom first started talking to me about it, it was because she was pregnant with my brother. And in my curiosity, seeing my mom's growing stomach, going, like, asking her questions about my brother and getting all curious she started to um, explain to me because I started talking about, you know, wanting to be a mom and, and all this and have kids. And, but I, I was like, mom, I don't know if I want to go through labor because she's, because she's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do pain very well. I'll be honest. Um, so the actual thought of going through labor was just not exciting to me. And in my five-year-old mind, I was like, oh, I can't have kids. That means no pain. Okay. Um, but my mom started talking to me about the um, possibility of adoption. And because IVF, you know, wasn't really well developed at that point yet. And so she talked to me about adoption. And I thought that sounded great because I thought there's going to be kids that need homes. And I thought I would be able to get to um, provide a home for a kid that needed a family. And I thought that would be great because I'll get married and then we'll be able to have kids by adoption. So for a long time, I was, I was good with that because I'm like, yeah, I don't mind like not going through labor. Um, I never really like that's that's one aspect that I could I could say personally for me 
that's that's um, a positive for for not being able to have kids naturally. That's probably the one of the main positives I would take is is not having to go through childbirth. But because my mom would talk to me about how painful it was, and she had a cesarean with me, and then she decided to have a cesarean with my brother, and so I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good there. Oh, I can adopt a, a kid and not have to go through that. Perfect. Um, so that was that was my like in my mind for a long time, and I was okay with that. And then it hit me in my twenties when I started. Um, you know, the more I was trying to get into um, you know the the dating world and potentially try and you know meet my husband. I'm thinking, well, am I going to get to adopt? When am I going to adopt? And the closer I got to 30, I was just like, I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if it's going to happen. And, you know, I was discouraged because I was like, I thought I'd be married. I thought I'd be able to have, you know, adopt, adopt a kid by now. And so I had to kind of reset my expectation because I had to just know that both those things right now um, weren't happening and trying to, to trust that if that's going to happen, you know, whether I get married or have kids, that that'll be in God's timing. But it was, I felt like, what is it, you know, um, where I'm like, I didn't have the choice. I didn't get a choice to, to not be able to have kids. And when you have that desire to want to have kids, it's, it was so frustrating and, um, you know, heartbreaking and you do have to kind of create that. And, you know, I just, I, I was like, there's so many kids that could use a good home and I want to provide that. And I feel like even that became um, like, nope, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I'm not ever saying never, but right now just, I had to reevaluate kind of the, the priorities on that. And, you know, I, I want that to be still in the future, but, you know, most likely it would have to be as a single parent, you know, I, I'm like, if I'm going to do it, you know, and adopt, then, I mean, who knows when I might meet somebody. Um, and so I might have to go through, um, you know, an adoption process as a single parent. But I'm like, that's really difficult. I see my mom try and do that. Do I really want to do that? And is that fair? You know, and I want to be able to provide because I didn't get, I guess, that experience where, I mean, I, I had a mom and I had a stepdad, but it wasn't always a healthy home. I come from a broken home, divorced family, um, you know, and I want, you know, my kid to not ever have to experience anything like that. And so I feel like, you know, it's probably the right choice for the moment, but it hurts. Yeah. And I feel like, it's something that I, I wrestle with, that I, I've wrestled with on and off is, I guess, that not be that, I guess, expectation or desire to want to um, be a parent not fulfilled. 
yeah. and, you know, trying to make sense of, okay, well then, then what do I do? And it, it, it it's frustrating. And so um, that's, that's been my struggle. And I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, cause it's great. I'm, you know, I have friends with their kids and I, I like being able to, you know, hang out with them and see their kids and see their kids grow and, and all of that. But I'm just like, I feel like I'm missing out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, I think it kind of ebb and flows where it's, it's a little bit harder at times than at other times, but it just comes around and it, it just, yeah, it just constantly is that prick kind of in the side that's always there reminding you like, yeah. Yeah. Not going to do that. Yeah, we've had, we've had quite a journey, even, even with pursuing, actively pursuing foster care and adoption. Um, We, at first I was very scared because not because I was unwilling to do foster care at all. I I was absolutely willing. I think it was just, especially after getting that diagnosis and seeing how out of reach options felt. I grew up having best friends in the foster care system. I knew how tricky it could be. I knew how emotional and hard it would be. And I know me. The whole question of getting attached, that's not even a question. I know I will. That's a fact. That's going to happen. That's just me. And so it just felt, I was a little nervous. My emotions would be a little raw to handle that. And Mm -hmm. of course, God stepped in and kind of made it known that that's what he wanted us to do. So we did start that process I had kind of a same like well adoption's great kind of moment when the doctor said 30 to 40 thousand dollars my first thought was well adoption sounds great not that traditional adoption is much cheaper honestly right but um certainly foster care and foster to adopt is um yeah so within that journey though we I mean, we went through three years of trying to get certified. We went through a year and a half waiting for a call, waiting for a placement to come within what we could do at that moment. And then we went into waiting for moving housing to be resolved and settled and figured out so we could get settled in a house to try again to restart the home study so they could have our prof like we could have a profile open again and um set things up in a way that allowed it to actually be likely to be successful to be able to take a placement And that was really hard. I had a lot of moments of second guessing myself. I had a lot of moments of just questioning what is this supposed to look like? Because this doesn't seem to be working. And and 
all of those things and it, it hits you randomly, even now, even this far into things. I have my days where it'll just hit me and I'll just be sad. Yeah. Because of how complicated all of it is. And while you learn to kind of know how to process those things, I know it's not something that's ever going to go away. Yeah, it's um, it's very difficult. And, you know, I've been thinking because um, one of the girls that... Uh, one of my friends, she um, had a couple times where, and this is one of the difficult things um, with, because I was thinking about doing the foster to adopt, mm-hmm. and that's still probably, um, I think if I were to, you know, go a route, that's probably um, the option that I would I would go for. But I, I heard... Um, too and it's uh just really sad one of my friends she and her husband um and she's she's a ts um friend of mine and they went through so many ups and downs i'm so excited for them now because they finally adopted they were able to adopt um so now they have um have their uh son and so i'm like excited that that finally was realized for them but they went through so many ups and downs i think in that process um where they they thought that they were going to wind up adopting and that fell through um for various reasons and you think like you you get um attached and you bond with this person and then the adoption falls through yeah and it's so so difficult um but it's exciting um to finally see that uh, they were able to, to adopt. So that's great. Um, yeah. And I've seen, so one of the girls, um, that I, from a while back that when I first, um, got connected in with, um, our group here locally, uh, she had had embryos frozen. Okay. And yeah. And so I don't know about you. I'm, I'm excited in one way because there are more options at least than when I was a kid um, that I think the younger girls will have if they're able to, um, you know, have an idea, which I think would be important to have an idea of their ovarian function early on so they can have the option of whether they want to go ahead just in case and maybe um while they have some good eggs uh have that option of being able to freeze you know eggs and have those for the future yeah. uh and then the ivf but ivf is so expensive but that is something that's available that wasn't necessarily as much of an option when i was a kid even in my 20s it was i mean ivf was available but i don't think it's it was as advanced as it is now and I think for me, my window was so much smaller that that wouldn't have benefited me, but it makes me hopeful for some options, I think, for um, for us in the future, for the at least for the younger generation. Oh, yeah. In the future. Yeah. Yeah. So switching to a positive note, the options yes. there are. Yes. Um, I honestly, I 
I'm so constantly amazed and grateful for how many options there really are. Now, <laughs> it's still complicated. There's still a whole lot of processing of information you have to do because I remember when we were first looking at everything out there, I like felt like I had just been drinking from a fire hose. It was so much information, but there really is so many options. Yes, identifying it early like that would be amazing. The trick is just when you're diagnosed. So like um, for those that are diagnosed at birth where you're born knowing you have Turner's, like they already have diagnosed you with Turner's, you have more of an ability to watch and try for certain things. Um, like freezing your eggs, if there's going to be any point of viability for them, it would be then. That would be the trick. Um, and who knows what treatment might look like later. They may have made that more common to try more a part of the routine guidance on things. But yeah, yeah that wasn't a thing when I was born either. Um, I mean, I was diagnosed while my mom was pregnant. So they knew from the very beginning that infertility was going to be something that I fought with. But there were, I think IVF was a thing maybe, but not as much as it is now, certainly. And I don't know if they had tried the IVF with egg donation or embryo adoption or any of that. So I, I, I think all of it's worth looking into if you can look into what your health status is um, I mean, there are things you can do to try for your own fertility as far as like, you can get your levels, you can test where you're at, and that'll kind of guide you in what you would even need. So do you need IVF with egg donation or just IVF? Or, you yeah. know, what does your situation look like is super important in the beginning. Like that's the very base foundation of where you would start from. But then when you're looking at options going, okay, well, I'm, I'm at this health level. So I, I could either pass or not pass a cardiac MRI to be approved to go through pregnancy. Because the heart issue is something to think about too with that. And so like I, I was approved for it. We don't have $40,000 laying around, but I was approved for it. They would be fine with me going through a pregnancy. Um, and so that's good to know too, because that kind of guides your options. So there's IVF, which is basically where they do the fertilization in a little dish, for lack of a better way of explaining it. <laughs> They do the fertilization in a little dish, and then when it develops, they implant it in you. They transfer it to you to carry through the pregnancy. So um, what they do is I think you take a series of injections, like a round of injections to increase um, the fertilization um, or your production of eggs, and then uh, they harvest what they can see as, as viable. And then 
then they and in the dish, then they're able to to fertilize them and get them into embryos, and then they replant them. Yes. Yeah, and, and then they you get pregnant. Yes, hopefully it works. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's typically more than one embryo you're able to get. Well, it really depends, but in theory, you should have more than at least one embryo out of an IVF cycle. So you can try transferring again with that other embryo um, if the first one doesn't work. And they'll freeze the others in the meantime. And then you would just have the trans. So the interesting part is that first part where you're taking injections and um, getting all of those eggs ready, that part you don't have to do every time if you get multiple embryos out of that first time, (laughs) which makes it cheaper. Um, You just have to do the procedure of transferring it. Well, then there's another option called IVF with egg donation, which basically is the same thing, but a donor is going through that process instead. And you, from, from what my doctor told me, because that was, that was the option he presented to me as what he felt was best for what my egg reserve and health looked like for what my ovarian function and response was looking like. He said, I feel like that's our best bet is IVF with egg donation. So you still go through your own hormone regimen to prepare you for the transfer, but you aren't going through the process of harvesting the eggs and you pick a donor. You literally get like a book of profiles of donors with detailed information of their medical history, their family medical history, age, all of those types of things that you can choose from. And they go through that process. And then you're just preparing for the transfer. And so then once their eggs are ready, they harvest them, do the same process of creating the embryos, but they create those embryos with your husband's sperm also. And um, then they'll freeze any they don't transfer and it's basically the same process after that. And then I think you take a test like two weeks later <laughs> to see if it worked. So it's, it's interesting. Um, the whole timing would be really interesting to keep up with. And it's just an, an amazing option if you are in the health to carry a pregnancy, it's an incredible option. And then there's embryo adoption, which is a fairly new thing. I mean, it was new. And I know someone that went through that, the the embryo adoption. Oh, it's, it's such a cool option. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, it is out of these three, it's the cheapest. It's the cheapest you're going to find. Well, my guess is it's cheaper than regular IVF too. I haven't actually heard the price for regular IVF though. I'll be honest about that. My guess is from the numbers I've heard that it's cheaper though, or the same, 
one of the two. So embryo adoption is basically the embryos that are created when a couple does IVF. The ones that they don't use, they have to determine what to do with them. They can either have them destroyed, donate them to science, which will then they'll destroy them after they're done with them, or adopt them out to another couple for them to use it. And on paper, it's exactly like a normal traditional legal adoption. Um, the only difference is you carry the embryo to term and give birth. That is an incredible and really cool option. I think probably that's my favorite out of all three of them. It's just so cool. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great option. And, um, you know, in many ways, because there could be somebody that, um, I mean, it gives somebody the opportunity, especially maybe if it's a more uh, if it's a cheaper option to be able to go that route. And then when you already have, um, you know, fertilized embryos for, you know, for them rather than just like discarding the embryos or destroying them, it gives an opportunity for somebody to carry an embryo to term and have a child. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if we weren't doing foster care and foster to adopt that'd probably be like my next favorite option to look at for mm -hmm. a lot of reasons I mean admittedly financially it's the next most accessible um but it's also just really cool to think about being able to give those embryos that chance right so I love yeah. that aspect of it too yeah yeah yeah, I think it's it's a great option all the way around for um, providing a chance for the embryos, uh, as well as for you know a woman looking to have a child. So yeah, um, yeah it's it's great to have that as an option as well. So I mean, it, it's amazing um, to have that technology and and have the you know, ability in the science to, um, to do that because, uh, you know, for anyone that struggles with infertility, um, you know, it's, it's great to have, um, but I'm, I'm thankful to, especially for, um, you know, our, for the younger generation in the TS community to maybe have some more options that were a little bit more limited during the time where I, I had a window um, to maybe do something other than adoption. But uh, I knew when I found out about my congenital heart defect that probably health-wise, I mean, my heart's in pretty good shape. I do Taekwondo. So um, if I can do Taekwondo, most likely I probably could be cleared to carry a, a baby. But, um, you know, the risk of uh, you know, dissection and stuff during labor and all that is high. Uh, and so, you know, it, it probably is better to do the adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, so that just really kind of definitively took that off the table. And it's like, if I'm, if I'm going to have a family, it'll, it'll be through adoption. Yeah, that's, that's a, interesting question to navigate for these options too is 
whether a doctor clears you or not, is it mm-hmm. still the best route for you? And even um, for IVF to IVF with egg donation, the difference there trying with your own eggs versus donor eggs mm-hmm. and the risks for us that come with pregnancy. I I am someone that was like, but but I'm missing the experiences. And you know, anybody that's given birth is they're like, honey, you're not missing much. But it's experiences that I've kind of always been really intrigued by and really like I imagined myself having. Yeah. So it's, it is part of me gets excited about those options because it's like, well, that's a way for me to still be able to experience pregnancy and labor and delivery. Am I saying that labor and delivery is going to be a party? No, no. Am I saying pregnancy is going to be a party? No, but there's reasons that I still cherish those experiences and would cherish the ability to have those experiences if I ever get to. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, your health is a major part of the puzzle because there's the heart condition to think about as far as what risk you're taking, because the, the heart risk isn't just for if you've already been diagnosed with something, there is still risk either way. Now, obviously you're in a really good spot if you aren't having anything beforehand, but that doesn't mean you aren't at risk for it. So even like, cause I had initially thought, well, I've never had anything show up with my heart though. So if you can look at my heart right now and it's fine, is there still even a concern? And they're like, oh yeah, it could still change. And I'm like, well, that's scary. that that can change that much like that yeah so um there's not zero risk is it astronomical in my opinion no if you've been cleared I would say you can feel pretty confident in that but there's not zero right but there's also just general health like for me going through if I were to think about going through a pregnancy right now I'm already kind of like, I have a lot of immune stuff happening. So I know I wouldn't feel my greatest. And so I'd rather like the more optimal time for me would be at a time period where I've actually had time to focus on losing weight and getting better about my immune health and everything. But um, those are serious things to think about, whether it's a good option for you or not. And kind of just health is a major important part of thinking through all of the options. Yeah. Particularly those three where you're carrying a pregnancy. And then there's the adoption options, right. which are amazing as well. Right. So the, the biggest things I know about all of the adoption choices is 
there's like three approaches to adopting. You can do just traditional adoption through a private agency domestically, so in the country, or you can do an international adoption, which would also be through a private agency, does tend to be more expensive and more complicated because there's a lot of paper, a lot, even more paperwork than a traditional adoption would have. And bureaucracy dealing with the governments having to communicate between and this country and visas the other. and all of that to yeah yes oh yeah there's there's a major scheduling of flights and documentation as you're going between countries and really really nuanced things um and there are some countries like I, I learned through some research we did, Peru is one of the hardest countries to adopt from. Wow. And so there's dynamics individualized to each country for adopting from that particular country. Um, and it would kind of, there was times where like, oh, no, that country has closed to adoptions. Oh, they're reopened now. Um, there's, yeah, really interesting stuff with that. Um, so there's that. And then there's foster to adopt, which is basically you're taking in a foster placement. So the child that you would be taking in is technically in the foster care system. But there's a difference between traditional foster care and foster to adopt. So the, the foster to adopt route, what me and Andrew are going through right now is you do all of the other normal things you do for foster care and really any adoption. Um, you are doing a home study. We are working with a private agency instead of straight through the county, um, which is kind of a whole other conversation to have but you do all of those things so you you still have a home study you still take the classes you still keep up your um kind of trainings and education type stuff and things like that but for the foster to adopt part there's actually what's called adoption books which is basically a whole list of all of the kids in the counties for our case, it's an agency that we see lists from several counties because they service several counties or the county, if you're working through the county, of all of the kids currently in the system within their jurisdiction that are available for adoption. So they'll give you gender, age, and usually a little bit of information depending how much they have. Some kids they'll have more information on than others. They'll they'll let you know if it's sibling sets because they try to keep siblings together. And so what you do is you once you're certified, once your home has been approved and you're ready to take in a placement, you look through the books and 
you will look to see, oh, I wanna put our profile forward for this child or this sibling set. And they will put it forward for you. You take a picture, you do like a little profile page where it's a little about me and stuff like that. And the agency sends it to the social worker specifically over that child or sibling's case. And they will have profiles that have come forward for it and they'll look through it and they'll do some interviews. They'll reach out if you on paper look to them like a good potential match. Sometimes you're not even going to hear back. Like there was a one-year-old that we just asked for more information and she wasn't even getting a response because the social worker had like 40 or 50 profiles already. Oh, wow. They weren't even accepting anymore. (laughs) So it's, it's an interesting thing still. And each area is very different um, as far as what the dynamics of what's in the adoption books looks like, what the trends look like, um, and how kind of, how many families are seeking adoption at that time or in that area kind of also is gonna affect things. For our situation, as an example, we now are in a house with three bedrooms. And so we're in the process of re-updating our home study to be up to date for this house. And then we will, um, we'll be able to take placements from zero to about 13 with potentially one or two siblings, depending on what there was. Once you put your profile forward, you take them, you'll kind of seeing how that goes, seeing if it is a good match. Um, and then if it is, you get to go through the fun process of the court system for the legal part of the adoption yeah it's uh so it's a lot it's complicated but I've had several friends go through adoption and so I always I feel good about it because I mean I've been around friends that have adopted while it's been a journey it's wound up really good for them and so it makes me kind of excited I still hope that that's um, something I'll, I'll get to do. Um, it's just a matter of weighing though I go ahead and, you know, be a single parent and take it on and, or do I, you know, wait and see if, uh, I get married and wait till I can adopt with my husband, but don't know when that's going to happen. So, and I feel like that sort of that biological clock ticking um in a sense and it's like I I want to be able to adopt you know while I'm young like while my parents are young and can enjoy grandkids young enough to enjoy their grandkids and all of that and so I feel like the longer I put that off who knows it may not always be the ideal time or situation but I want it to be the best possible situation um, to bring a child into. So a lot of 
options to weigh, but it makes me very excited though that there, there are options for uh, TS women out there. There really are. I think, I think those options have grown more than we can realize at times. And then when you start listing all of it, there really is a lot and it really has grown and is just continuing to grow with what treatments or things like that are available, what different adoption avenues look like, because adoption has been shifting and changing and those procedures have been adjusting. And I think, I think all of that has just made it more and more as time has gone on so much more accessible. Yeah. And for cost, traditional adoption is probably not much of a different price range than IVF with egg donation. However, the other pendulum swing of that is foster to adopt is almost none. Yeah. The things we have had to pay for, um, like um, background checks and things like that, you get reimbursed once you have your first placement. So even what you pay up front, you're not really paying long-term. It's just until you get your first placement. Right. And now it could be, could be different in various areas. Um, But from what I understand also too, with foster to adopt, oftentimes while they're in the foster care system, they, they help cover some of the costs of like supplies and uh, different things like needs that you might have um, to bring a, a kid into the house. Like maybe if it's a, you know, you're adopting foster to adopt like a child, you know, whether it's need for clothing, toys, um, you know, necessities, at least from what I've heard in one situation, um, he got like basically vouchers to help cover some of those needs as yeah. well. There's, um, so here in California, it's a stipend mm-hmm. that you get. Once you get a placement, you right. do all of the upfront purchasing of like any clothes or beds or anything like that. But once you have a placement, once you have a child with you, that child gets a stipend from the state or from the county every month. And so you're getting that as their guardian to use for their needs. Right. And actually, from my understanding, there's some level of that that continues even after an adoption is finalized until they're 18, I think. Yeah, I think I've heard that as well, which is something that when I heard about that and I started thinking about the options, when you're thinking about finances, that does help, I think, make it um, a better option um, because these are expensive, um, you know, expensive options. Yeah. So it's, it, it doesn't come without a price or a cost, but um, foster to adopt, um, you know, 
I know that they really are trying to encourage, you know, um, encourage adoptions. And so it's great to have that support. And I think financially, um, you know, just as being a single parent, that kind of helps ease some of that concern, knowing oh, yeah. that some of those needs will be met um, through that support. So yeah. that makes it seem a lot more attainable. Yeah. Yeah, and so that go. I know that goes for financial stipend. I believe they have access to all of the um, mental health, occupational, educational services they were getting or would need after that as well. Um, where any therapy is paid for and provided by the county. There's medical coverage, I think, potentially provided by the county. There's a lot that the county continues to try to provide up through 18. Just, I think, just in hopes of trying to give all of the resources possible for taking care of them and giving them the yeah. best possible. And, um, you know, it, it's from, from what I've heard of this state of foster care right now is you really are seeing a lot of kind of, you don't know what's going to happen with placements. <laughs> um, you know, and I think, I think being open to adopting in that way is such a beautiful thing because there are so many kids that are in the system that need yeah. a home and a good family. And while the system, I, I will say the system is broken. It yeah. definitely has improvements that need to be made. We can kind of really amazingly step in and kind of fill that gap a little bit and, you know, provide for that yeah. child, even when the system may be failing because yeah. the kids didn't do anything. You know, it's not their fault. The system's broken. Mm -mm. No, they just need to be able to have someone that can give them that chance and, yeah. um, you know, give them uh, a caring home, loving home, safe, you know, place and um, the ability to, to thrive and grow. And, you know, there's so many uh, in getting to, you know, get connected in with the Turner Syndrome community. I mean, there's so many, um, you know, that we you know, that we have that heart and the yeah. ability to be, um, you know, good parents and provide. And so, yeah, it's a good opportunity to help fill in that gap. Yeah. 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 I think, and there's, I mean, there's no ability to really control whether we can change the things our body can't do, but I know my journey through being diagnosed with premature ovarian failure, through looking at the potential options, through going through medical stuff I've gone through, I know all of it has really prepared me for the option I am embracing and we are taking and pursuing. And while I can't get those experiences necessarily, I know for me, I am 
extremely excited and blessed for the opportunities that I do have. And I know that it, there's almost a feeling of calling for me. Like, I, I feel like that's what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And whether I ever get any of those normal, quote unquote, normal experiences or not, it just feels really good to not be fighting things in that way and to be able to embrace something that is a really beautiful thing that I can allow myself to be really excited about. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of grief processing that happens before you get to there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's nice to be able to, to know when you feel like, you know, you've gotten to evaluate and you've gotten to the option that's best for you. And then I think it brings, I think some closure and some peace. And then it's like, okay, I can move forward with this. Cause I know that, um, you know, this is, uh, the option that's, that's best for me. And I'm going to get to, um, you know, be a part of, uh, someone's life and, and get to invest in them. And, you know, I've always believed, and I've seen it with my friends that have adopted just how much they become a part. And it's almost like, you can't even tell the difference that yeah. they were actually adopted. It just like they blended right in and were just meant to be. And, you know, and so it may not be the same, but it's sort of for me, at least for, um, you know, my friend, she isn't a, a friend of mine in the TS community, but she is someone that, struggle with infertility and adopted and um it was amazing to see just how their family came together and just uh the kids grow up in there and uh in their family and um you know they have uh twins and then a son and uh just getting to to see that it you know I feel like it may not be the same but getting to see their experience it makes me feel like you you still get those meaningful experiences that yeah. I think sort of fill that, I think, place in, in your heart where you're looking for that. And um, so, uh, yeah, makes me very, very excited and very hopeful. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean no matter what you choose it's it's a lot of okay well this didn't look how i expected one way or the other no matter what journey you pursue this didn't look how i expected yeah and i found so much strength in it being okay that it's not how i expected and looking for the things that actually maybe this is more of what I needed than what I ex expected or would say I wanted. And yeah. I think, I think it's just that mind shift of like letting that be okay. And yeah. it not, it not needing to look how it looks for others 
or how you expected it to. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of that with Turner's, but yes, Yes. (laughs) particularly with the infertility, you're navigating that with also a lot of extra emotion. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a process. It's a journey. It's, you know, you, you know, have to be able to, to grieve that. And then, you know, look with, I think, hopefully some hope and optimism and then say, okay, it's not going to look exactly like I had hoped, but it's okay. And who knows, it could be even, wind up being something even better than what you're anticipating it to be. And it is just giving that opportunity, I think, chance and moving, you know, past that expectation and kind of working through that and knowing, okay, um, it's going to look different for me and that's okay. Yeah. And seeing the beauty and the options we do mm-hmm. have, you know, yeah. in each of these options, there's such beautiful opportunity in them. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I feel like that was probably best processing and mind shift I made that just, I, it w- it felt like night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was so in love with the idea of experiencing pregnancy and labor and delivery that might sound crazy, (laughs) might sound crazy, but I was, I, I loved hearing birth stories. I loved, I loved all of those things. And so I was always excited about that. Like I, I always was interested in that. And I also kind of had the the dream of surprising my husband one day, Mm -hmm. being able to tell him in a really cute, sweet way that I was pregnant and things like that. And it took time for me to separate the two where I can say, I love those things. I think those things are amazing, but I can also be okay that I may never have my own personal experiences with that. I, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think is fun to see. Um, sometimes it's hard, but, um, you know, it, it is, it is a challenge, I think at times, um, emotionally, because there's a part that it's like, oh, it's so fun to see those, you know, like the videos when people share, like surprising, you know, their, their husband, um, that they're pregnant and, you know, or, you know, gender reveals and, and all those things. And it's like, oh, I'm missing out on that. And, uh, it can be, it can be a challenge. Um, I'm at a place where I actually have fun kind of watching those and seeing those experiences. And I guess I kind of, uh, live a little bit vicariously through, (laughs) through those. Um, but it's fun, but, you know, I've, work through a lot of, you know, trying to be to a place that it's okay, because I know that, you know, it, it's not really anything that I can change. And it's, yeah. um, you know, it's the path that I'm on. And, you know, I just, I'm going to try and trust God in it and just be okay. And, you know, he's helped me kind of come to a place, um, you know, in processing it that, it's going to be okay. And ultimately I want the journey that he has for me and the experience that he has for me. However, that's going to wind up looking. 
and yeah. I just have to be okay. It's not going to be the same. Um, but it's not easy, you know, really getting to that place. But, um, you know, I, I think with so many wonderful options, I, I'm hoping that it gets, it gets better um, yeah. in the future. And I think it's important to, I would like to see more, um, I guess, early, um, you know, av- advocacy and, um, you know, have that be a part of really, especially for, um, you know, people who, uh, for the girls that are transitioning from their pediatric care into adult care and really getting to then see what options they have so they can start thinking about that and knowing what their options are and not have to just have the, um, you know, the concern and feel just totally devastated by the infertility news that yeah. there, there are options. Yeah. Despite that. Yes, I agree. Um, I remember because of my obsession with the idea of, okay, I know I'm going to be like, I know God made me to be a mom. I mother everybody around me. I know this is happening, but how am I making that happen with what you just told me? I was always asking my pediatric endocrinologist, like I would always try to throw in a, well, and what options are there? Or what can, what can we find out about what's actually happening with me? Like, when can I do yeah. that testing where I know what the likelihood of me being able to get pregnant is? Yeah. And being a pediatric endocrinologist, she always said, oh, you'll get there. And never really gave me any information on it. So when I turned it, well, when I turned 21, because she had had me so long, she was able to keep me a little longer. So when I turned 21 and I transferred to another endocrinologist that was an adult endo, I immediately had like so many questions for her. By that time I was 21. I (laughs) like, it was pretty late in the physically preparing for anything or thinking about anything and even kind of mentally I felt like a little late in the mentally processing and preparing for things because there's a lot of that to do yeah 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 and I think if there you know if that's a conversation that you can have as you're getting ready to transition, like I was, I got off growth hormone, I was about 17. And then that was sort of the, really the end of my, you know, uh, care with my pediatric endocrinologist. And then it was sort of like, okay, good luck. And, um, you know, I had gotten the info, like I had heard, okay, you know, streak ovary, and didn't really know much else about what that meant for me, what that meant for my health, and then any future, like, planning. And so I, I know that if I had that, it would be, 
it would be great. And with so many options, I think that that would be um, something really beneficial to be able to start thinking and have those discussions and, you know, physically preparing too, um, that, that I didn't, I didn't get, I think it would make sort of the emotional impact as well as like the physical stuff, but the emotional impact of infertility, I think, um, a little bit easier to go through in a way, cause you have that, you have more ability to process it and, and be able to also think about options. Um, cause I was just flat out told adoptions it that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And I think it's good to have an idea of physically, what can I handle? Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, what seems to be, you know, the best fit for what I'm looking, what I'm looking for as far as planning for a family. Um, Cause for some, it might be the adoption route for some, it might be an IVF. Makes me excited. Yes. And who knows in the future? I mean, I even have heard of, um, I guess, looking into, um, who knows in the future, like ovarian transplants. Yes. There's been a lot of things like that that have been happening. There was something about harvesting a piece of the ovary while it was still functioning. Mm-hmm. And using that to bring the function back later. Oh, yeah. So when you're ready to, yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So there's still stuff like that being worked on that, I mean, things like that go so fast nowadays. Who knows what the options will look like in a few years? I know. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy, but that's pretty exciting. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. I was talking to my mom. I remember when we first did the testing and found out everything, I was telling her all of the information I had gained for all of the different options. And I thought about it and I kind of looked at her and I was like, did you even know these things would be options for me when you had me? She was like, oh no, there's way more options for you than I could have even thought or dreamed would be possible when I had you. It's grown so quickly. And sometimes I think it's easy to forget that because now it kind of feels normal. I, I'm, I'm really, really, really grateful for everything that we talked about. I think, I think it's, such a good conversation to have so yeah yeah and I agree yeah so we will talk to you guys next time and have a great week and we'll see you next week (laughs) yes have a good week everyone bye bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.